Welcome back. This is the Liberty on Fire podcast. I'm your host, Libertarian Tony, and I'm going to be joined by Conservative Joey. So happy that you're here joining us. If this is your first time, then thank you for being here. If, on the other hand, you are a dedicated and regular listener, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate that you come and listen to each and every show. So, Joey, it's taken us a long time for us to sit down together and finally have a co-hosted podcast. Your, I guess, time zone and my time zone just don't seem to add up, and it seems like you're getting older by the day. You can't stay up late anymore. And, you know, I'm the old guy. I'm the one that's supposed to be going to bed early. And so I'm starting to lose faith in you that you may have entered middle age as a 30-year-old. That may may be what it is. I don't know. It kind of sucks, but you're right. I'm getting so tired at around 11 o'clock, and I just can't. I can't stay up. But um, we're we're here now. It's eleven sixteen my time, and we're gonna knock one out. We are. We're gonna we're gonna do the best we can. Um, and we I don't know. We we've missed a lot since our last our last time we've talked together. So much is happening. Right. We we've been trying to supplement with the quick hits, but it doesn't quite capture the same uh, I guess dynamic as if you and I are kind of talking about topics. So I guess in order to spare our huge audience uh, any more of this kind of dialogue let's get right into some of the uh topics what do you want to start with well first did you uh i can i start with avengers endgame did you see that yes of course definitely saw that uh i really liked it the only thing i didn't like about it was the the whole hulk i guess a direction that that took I, i wanted hulk to have his rematch with thanos but that of course that never happened Oh yeah, some people have been saying they didn't like the Hulk. You know, they didn't like. I, I didn't mind it, but now you put it that way, he didn't have his rematch. Yeah, that does kind of suck. What about Fat Thor? What do you think of him? That was freaking hilarious. See, I thought it was hilarious too. I think it was hilarious, and as the movie went on, I wanted him to regain, you know, big ripped Thor. Um, and some people are upset he never did. But my take is that's kind of on purpose, right? Because if Thor had both his weapons and he was in shape and Thanos didn't have his rings, you'd think he would just wipe him out, right? So I think they kind of nerfed Thor. You think that's what was going on too? I guess so. I, I mean, the, these Marvel movies have, have really kind of played up the whole comedy angle. And oh, yeah. I, I guess m- much more so than the DC movies. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, I think it's good. It, keep, it keeps you entertained because it's not just one action scene to the next. And, uh, that, I mean, the movie actually started out pretty down in the dumps for like 20 minutes. And then it built up and there was some hope and then it got better. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good. I, I like Fat Thor. I thought he was funny. Yeah. One thing at the beginning, it shows, you know, like after the snap happened and half the, half the world or half America was, was gone, it shows sort of the aftermath. I was kind of thinking about that in real life. If there was, if half the people sort of left the planet like that and it vanished, what do you think? Would it be like apocalyptic or would infrastructure still be around? And, or would we be able to like, would it be like a short term, like 10, 15 year, like depression and then we'd build back up from it or, or would it be just chaos? What do you think? I guess for the audience who hasn't seen the movie, um, there's this, incredibly powerful guy who had this incredibly powerful let's call it a magic gauntlet he snapped his fingers and 
half of the entire population of the universe disappeared in an instant. Okay, yeah. so based on that, what do I think? Well, I think life would go on, uh, kind of like what Captain America was talking about in the beginning part of the movie, that mm-hmm. you kind of have to go on. I mean, every, you're going to have a generation or two of just really psychologically damaged people all over the you know planet or all over the universe. Um, mm-hmm. Eventually, things would improve and people would move on because that's that's just what people do after a tragedy. Eventually, you move on. Um, yeah, I don't know if it would be too apoc- apocalyptic. I think it would probably start out that way, be very chaotic, and then eventually order would be reached. But I, I don't necessarily think all the same countries would go back to looking the same way. Uh, I think you know some countries would team up, maybe other countries would fall apart and break apart. So it's actually an interesting topic that you could write more about, like the post-snap world, like the post-snap comic strip. You can have a whole story going on about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I was kind of thinking, like, I don't think it would be apocalyptic and crazy. It would be maybe really crazy for the first few years, first 10 years. But then, um, I don't know, I think some businesses would still survive. Some obviously wouldn't if, like, if it's a small business and half of them are gone or whatever. But uh, I think, you know, and you can get really cheap beachfront property probably if you survived. And the, the, the traffic would be way better. So I'm actually, I'm not really, um, I think I might be on board with Donald's plan. I'll take my chances. Yeah. Uh, what if you were the one who disappeared? Well, it doesn't look like it was that painful. No, but you wouldn't be around anymore. Yeah, and oh, I'm taking my chances. <laughs> I guess it's 50-50. 50-50. All right. Yeah. So, anyway, interesting thought. So, all right, this way we don't bore the hell out of our, our main audience. What are you? Uh, what to- real topic should we start with? Let's see. What's going on in, in Iran right now? I mean, that I see the news is, is Iran heavy and, and the U.S. Is, is maybe trying to flex some muscle. Do you have any idea? Do you have any insight on that and what's happening? Yeah, I mean, I kind of have like big picture ideas about the whole situation. Um, every once in a while, you get someone in the media or one of our uh, politicians, usually somebody in the administration comes out and says, hey, we got this new piece of intelligence that says Iran is trying to do something. They're going to threaten us or they're going to threaten Israel or something or other. Mm. Uh, in my opinion, this is just another way for them to, you know, gin up the warmongering and to get us to do something, to send in troops. And um, this is kind of perpetual war for perpetual peace or or not even perpetual peace, but perpetual war for the idea of peace, that we have to constantly be chasing the next boogeyman in order to, you know, ensure our way of life. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Iran is really no threat at all to the United States of America. They probably could threaten Israel a little bit, but Israel's military is really good and really well-trained. I really don't think they would have a problem with Iran. Well, I guess I could, you know, no threat to America. I understand that, but they are they are volatile, right? They are kind of a would they be maybe an unpredictable bad force? Um, they do. They are the the you know biggest sponsor of terrorism around the globe by a long shot, right? Well, that, that, those are talking points. We don't know that if any of that's really true. 
Oh, I thought I think I thought that's uh, there's empirical evidence to to back that statement up. No, empirical evidence based on who's saying what, based on your your government telling you that, right? Well, I didn't know we were gonna get into that. Um, I would have <laughs> probably looked at. I would have had some uh, some stats or something. Fine, maybe I'll bring it up next podcast. So you don't even believe that might not be true. I don't believe anything our government tells us. I mean, why why would you at this point? They the, their track record for being truthful is not very good. Uh, the government lies to its populace to tell them what they want to hear or in order to get some sort of new spending bill done or to get more money for some sort of war effort or, you know, there's always some sort of boogeyman out there that's threatening somebody that the U.S. has to go in and help. Uh, I don't believe any of it. I think it's all propaganda. And when the real journalists end up going out there and looking at these things and uh, figuring out, like, oh yeah, no, uh, what the government, U.S. government's been saying is is a lie because here we have people on the ground talking to the locals and investigating it, and it's nothing like what's being reported in the U.S. media, right? And then. Those real journalists get completely ignored by our mainstream media. They don't report on those topics. Hmm. So you're you're very skeptical then. You don't even think that um, Iran is a, is a big terror threat. Well, they could be, but to us, not maybe not to the the country, and that we should be scared living here. You live in California right now, me in Florida. But what if you, you don't think? Like the whole thing that started us putting um, cruisers and, and different ships in the ocean was, was the intel. Like you, you mentioned, we received intel. Um, what if that is true, then that they could, they might strike a, a base, an American base in Iraq or something like that? Would, should, should we care? My follow-up question to you would be, why do we have a base there to begin with? Well, that's a different topic, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if we should at this point, but we do at right. the moment. Right, right, but the, the idea is that that's not our country. That's their country. And we're basically foreign invaders. And how would we feel if, you know, Mexico all of a sudden put a base in Texas? They just kind of came in and took over a spot and they put in a military base. I mean, we would want to get them out, wouldn't we? we I mean, this is uh, none of our business, but we tend to make it our business. And if people don't like it, we bomb them. So you're also, uh, you don't want any sort of overseas involvement you don't like like we some would be skeptical of us being um supplying saudi arabia with with whatever we do um support you don't even think we should be doing anything like that right absolutely not yeah we're, we're basically helping the saudi uh i guess government keep uh power in that region right well that and i mean they're committing a genocide a war in yemen and we're supplying them with all the bombs and necessary munitions to do that, to just kill, you know, innocent women and children throughout that country. It's, it's being torn apart uh, pretty much because of us helping Saudi Arabia do it. It's horrible. Would the, I, I, I agree with all that. Would the counter be like, what would the, let's say, trade-off be if we weren't there and supporting Iraq or sorry Saudis and Iran was to take over that region could that be a worse thing for the for the world or for for a big sector of uh, the world at least you don't buy into that no I don't I don't know if it would be worse I don't think 
Iran is trying to take over anybody. I mean, they may be trying to influence some of the countries around them, but I mean, that makes sense, right? You have、uh, foreign countries on your border, and you'd prefer if they were friendly towards you as opposed to enemies.、Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, Iran has, I guess, more of a, of a claim to influence their neighbors than we do because this, this country is nowhere near us. They're, I don't know, how many thousands of miles away. Uh, I think we are always going to be looked at as the invaders. We're always going to be looked at as people who don't belong in、uh, you know, a place that's not our backyard. You know, our backyard would be Mexico and Canada, I guess, basically. So, you know, what we're doing over there,、um, although some politicians probably have good intentions behind it, I think overall it's, gonna, it's doing more harm than good. And there's a track record that we're actually doing more harm than good. I see where you're coming from.、Uh, what, about, what about if someone like Iran or a different country, North Korea and stuff, is really actively involved in trying to up, up, up their、uh, nuclear arsenal? Do, do we care?、Uh, I guess on the surface, it would be better if less countries had nukes, but. You have to think, I guess, all the way through to the conclusion like, what are you willing to do to prevent someone from getting a nuke? You know, we couldn't prevent North Korea from getting a nuke. So, I, what are the chances that we're going to prevent anybody from getting a nuke? I mean, nuclear weapons are, it's like 70 year old or 80 year old technology now. I mean, it, it's not that hard for a modern government to, I guess, create a nuclear weapon. So, I don't know. Are we going to go through extremes now and, and, you know, with these sanctions on Iran to kind of try to punish them in order to keep them from probably developing a nuke, maybe that they already have? I think this is, this is a waste of time.、Uh, countries like Iran and North Korea, the only reason they really want to get a nuke is because then they can have a seat at the table. Then they have、uh, something. Kind of to negotiate with, right? They have, they, they can put on their big boy pants and come to the table with everybody else that has a nuclear weapon. Right. But, but you're, you're, you're also sort of operating under the premise that Iran,、um, being the largest sponsor of terrorism, is propaganda on our end. I mean, that could be a big contention, right? I mean, if that, that's、uh, that kind of what, What、um, fuels a little bit of what you're saying. I mean, if, if, if they really were bad and it's not propaganda, You know, maybe,、um, I don't know, maybe I would disagree more with, with what you're saying. Right. But I mean, when has, your, when has your country not lied you into a war in the past 75 years? It's all, it's all been a, a, a communist. It started out, I guess, as a huge you know, communist worry and hoax.、Uh, that whole Gulf of Tonkin thing that got us into the Vietnam War, that was a complete lie. And all the you know, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, you know, that was a lie. And I don't understand why we needed to be or still are in Afghanistan. I mean, we got Osama bin Laden. There's no reason for us to still be there, but we're still there. We still have troops in Iraq. We have you know, troops in Syria that aren't supposed to be there, but they're there.、Uh, we, mm. I think we have like 140 bases or something around the planet. I mean, we clearly, we clearly have an American empire. It, it, it's kind of like the Roman Empire. And we're probably going to end up collapsing like the Roman Empire. But 
that's a whole separate topic. But mm. you know, we're we're trying to tell everybody around the world what to do. They don't do it. We threaten them one way or another, and possibly you know place sanctions on them, which is basically an act of war. Yeah. Speaking of collapsing like the Roman Empire, one of these days we're going to have to talk about the uh, monetary policy and uh, the dollar and what the where we're at right now and where uh, the where we're possibly heading with that. We'll have to do a, a sort of monetary and economic podcast. Yeah, that would be a good one. Yeah. Well, what what else do we want to look at today in this one? Okay, so I guess we can easily dovetail this into the whole uh, my take on you know Venezuela because we're we're on foreign policy. So, all right, let me let me start with this. If you take like a quick snapshot, and and this is obviously not much of a uh, discussion. This is just a quick snapshot of kind of the U.S. you know regime change results. So you have Iraq, and out of our regime a regime change policy in Iraq, you got ISIS. Afghanistan is in a quagmire. Libya, it now has slavery in that country's in chaos. Chile has a dictatorship. Haiti has poverty and repression. Honduras, mass migration. And then now with Venezuela. So we're, we're, we're placing sanctions on this poor country. Um, and, you know, they got to this place through plenty fault of their own with the, you know, bad socialist leaders they've had. Uh, mm. But us placing sanctions on them doesn't, it's not going to hurt any of the leadership. It only hurts the people. So mm-hmm. that, that that's one thing that you see trumped out in the news all the time. And like, oh, place, we're going to increase the sanctions, increase the sanctions. And the idea, I guess, is to make the people suffer so much that they overthrow their own government. Except it never works. And all you end up doing is hurting the people. And the leaders of these countries just they, they sit around getting fat and eating what they want to eat and doing what they want to do, whereas, you know, people in the country are starving and dying. So that whole idea of, you know, sanctions to kind of uh, twist the arm of the people just it does, doesn't work. And I think it's, it actually gives the leaders of these other countries something to talk about. They, they get to go out in the news and be like, you guys are suffering because of the U.S. sanctions. And that sells hell of a lot better than our point of view. is like, no, we're, no, no, we're putting these sanctions on you for your own good. I mean, if, if someone tried to tell you like, oh, I, oh yeah, I get it. Yeah, you're, you're making me suffer for my own good. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, does that make any sense to you? No, and it's hard to rile up citizens of a country to... Um overthrow a dictatorship government when they don't have the second amendment either right and and then the governments have all the 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 tools and the the weapons and the stuff and they don't care about you know how they use it on people exactly exactly so i guess in venezuela you got these two competing parties you have maduro who was actually legitimately elected by the people and Mm -hmm. then he went and said you know screw off to america you can't come in and take over our oil and so that's when we said, okay, we're going to put the shank- sanctions on you guys. So, I mean, his socialist policies weren't good, and neither were, were Hugo Chavez's, but uh, they're, they're doing worse now, partly because of the sanctions and partly because of years and years of just mismanagement by the government. 
Mm-hmm. And, and you got this guy, Guaido, who never ran for office, who the CIA basically said, oh, you're a guy. You're going to be our American puppet. And um, I don't know this to be a fact, but my guess is somewhere in the deep state, you got Pompeo and Bolton, who kind of picked this guy out of a hat. Uh, he's kind of maybe Guaido's easily corruptible or something. And, you know, maybe, maybe, he, maybe he took a deal. You know, maybe mm-hmm. somebody in the CIA got to him and be like, hey, we got a, uh, a nice condo waiting for you in Maui or maybe in Miami Beach <laughs> if you just go along with this whole coup. And you could you, you consider Bolton a deep state guy for sure, I guess, right? I mean, he wasn't he around during uh, during Bush times and really pushing for Iraq involvement? Yeah, I think Bolton's been around forever. I think he's probably 160 years old, I think. Yeah. At least close. And yeah, I mean, I don't think he's ever, ever really done an interview where he wasn't threatening to bomb somebody. I mean, I can't even recall him being on a TV without talking about a sanction or a war or some sort of threat. I mean, that's like, that's like his go-to thing. It's like, you know, he doesn't get his Girl Scout cookies on time. He's going to bomb the Girl Scouts or something. Mm. So, you know, this guy Guaido never ran for president. Uh, he, he looks just like a USA stooge. And even if somehow we pulled off the coup attempt of the century and got him in there, the people would completely reject him. Uh, they've already rejected him. They've had these couple of coup attempts so far where they had something where Rubio uh, was kind of going down near the border and there was like they were burning trucks of humanitarian aid or something. And so, the, you know, the warmongers in the U.S. are pointing at that like the, as Maduro burning the up the aid so the people are starving, that kind of thing. And, it, and then I guess when the investigative reporters looked at it, it was it was paid people that went and did it and burnt the trucks, and um, I think there were, like, hidden weapons inside the trucks, too, to kind of go in and use against the Maduro military. So, oh, and, and here's another thing. And Bolton, on, on live TV, he said that we want we wanted to secure the oil, the Venezuelan oil, for U.S. companies. And, oh, oh, yeah, by the way, this will help the people as well if we go in and secure the oil. So, I mean, this is kind of like a similar playbook to maybe what we, we were doing in the Middle East. You know, it's, I think it's all about the oil. That's what, uh, that's what some people would say. So I guess the Tony school thought on foreign policy is for America is you shouldn't be getting involved anywhere. We should mind our own business and worry about our own country unless something directly threatens us. Yeah, that's about right. It, it's basically, it, I would call it non-intervention. And just like Ron Paul does. And it's not isolationism. Isolationism is kind of what we're doing now. It's, you know, threatening people that don't agree with us. And I don't, I mean, isn't it better to be peaceful and trade with these countries? And uh, if, you know, Venezuela is having trouble with their monetary situation, offer some sort of, you know, help or offer to, hey, maybe we'll we can help come in and get your oil refineries up and running. I don't know, you know, something, something other than, uh, well, we're just going to put the sanctions on and help starve your people so that you can hopefully maybe overthrow your government. I'm kind of getting there myself because every time we do 
get involved somewhere, and especially in the Mideast, it's just a lot of crap that ends up happening as a consequence of it, you know? Yeah. But it, uh, maybe not fully there. You sound like you're a lot more there than me. I mean, if if we do, like I said, have bases in Iraq, which we, even we, whether or not we should or, or you know, um, and there is strong intelligence saying that a, a big country like Iran that, that is up to no good is threatening an attack— I feel okay about Trump flexing muscle and showing, you know, like you don't mess or threaten with America or bad things are going to happen. I, I see that as a direct, you know, threat. So you're not even you, – you think it's all propaganda and, you know, it's BS, whereas I'm, I'm kind of okay with the recent, the recent moves we've done. But I'm with you on the, the whole, you know – not needing to meddle on on everything now. Yeah, I mean, I think those intelligence leaks that you actually hear about in the news, I think that's all propaganda. Now, if, yes, we have a base there, I don't think we should have a base there, but if we had real intelligence that, you know, somebody was going to attack us, of course we have to defend ourselves because we're already there. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, it's like, okay, if nothing's going on, I mean, we marched in, why don't we just march right out? You know, just... Take take all our troops back, so they're not even they don't they don't even have the option of being threatened by another country. Um, I got I got just two more things I want to say about this the, the failed coup attempts. All so right, go ahead. I I don't necessarily think it's Trump's fault. So here here's here's the thing. I think either possibly Bolton got played by maybe Maduro loyalists or something, right? He said, you know, that we could you know switch to Guaido. If, you know, you, the USA, come and lend us a support, um, this maybe was done to, like, as an effect to, like, maybe lure out some of the U.S. sympathizers and the Guaido supporters, and then they could squash them, and then that would strengthen, you know, Maduro's position. Or, you know, there's another option is maybe Bolton and Pompeo, maybe they played Trump, and they said to him, you know, we got this Guaido guy, we have support there, and... You know, it, Trump was like, okay, you tell me it's going to be quick and easy. So Trump gave him the okay. Mm-hmm. The coup failed. And now, here, here comes the bait and switch. Now they're telling Trump, well, since you started, now, you kinda, now you're kind of committed and you have to send in the Marines. So that, that's, mm-hmm. that's, I, I, I'm kind of leaning towards option number two, where mm-hmm. somehow Bolton and Pompeo and some of the deep state people, they, they played Trump and then told him it was going to be easy. But here's the problem. If we send in the troops to Venezuela, I mean, this is really going to turn into like another Vietnam or Iraq war. It's going to be, you know, us against, you know, a country trying to protect our homeland using guerrilla tactics. And we'll, we'll never get out of there. We'll never win. No, I think you might be a little bit onto it with the second one. I'm not a fan of Bolton being in the administration. You know, I, I like I think Trump does rely on on people like that for some of the foreign policy. But I think his 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 base, like what he wanted, was to be strong and, and um, flex his muscle, but also not be super involved everywhere. And someone like Bolton, who has a history of pushing, you know, sort of a, a warmongering type of guy, um, not a big fan of that guy in the administration. And I think, he, you know, some of the recent stuff we're seeing might be directed to some of his influence. Yeah, it's uh, it's perplexing why Trump put him in that position, knowing what he knows, but maybe, 
Yeah. Maybe he did it as one of those exercises. And I, I keep wanting to give Trump the benefit of the doubt, and I don't know why. I just do. I, I mean, I like, I, I kind of like Trump in general, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of things I really don't like about Trump. So maybe I'm, I'm hoping Trump was like, well, Bolton could do more damage than if he's not under my control. So I got to bring him into my administration and put him under my control. This way I can watch him. Mm. However, I don't know if that's working out so well, if that was his plan. Yeah, that's that's definitely called giving Trump the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I don't know if I if I buy that one. Yeah, me either. But anyway, that was a good, uh, good, good little summary on, on what's going on in Venezuela, especially for me because I haven't been keeping up with that so much. Yeah, yeah Mises.org is a great, great website, and they have pretty much articles weekly on uh, what's going on in Venezuela. Uh, that, that's, that's a really good site. Um, another guy is Scott Horton. His podcast is really good. He is like 100% foreign policy every day, all day. He's excellent. Oh, That'd be a good one to, for for our listeners and me and myself to listen to. It sounds good. So, uh, any other any other thing you want to mention? Okay, so if we get off of foreign policy, some of the other things we could talk about. Uh, you got the new uh, Georgia abortion bill. You have uh, we we mm-hmm. kind of talked over the phone about maybe the uh, armed teachers in school thing. Yeah, let me let me get into that because that's my state. That's Florida. So let me let me get your opinion on that. It was uh, our our new. Governor DeSantis, um, he got in where I think it's passing on October, I believe, where and I don't know the details, but teachers can be can be armed. I don't know how they work it, you know, maybe, um, you know, whether it's carrying on them or just in the in some some contraption in the classroom. Um, but, yeah, what do, you, what do you think about that? So my limited, I guess, search online, uh, I found that a school with armed teachers has never, ever had a mass shooting. So that's very, I guess, anecdotal well, evidence. Yeah, it's, I guess it's pretty anecdotal because, I mean, percentage-wise, not many schools have mass shootings, right? So it's it's pretty – it doesn't seem far-fetched to find that statistic in there. Right. You know? But um, the concept, I mean, what do you think of the concept? You know, teachers are armed or a couple teachers are armed – you know, uh, maybe a step in the. What do you, do you see any potential negatives first? I guess the potential negatives would be similar to having a gun in your house, right? That right. some people yeah. would say that, oh, you know, you the thief or the perp is going to take the gun away from you and use it on you, kind of thing. And I yeah, guess I, that's that's the one that I hear all the time. What happens if a crazy kid, you know, gets in a fight with his teacher and then grabs grabs the gun? I mean, that's like one of the negatives. To, I could I get that would be a something that's possibly on the table that otherwise wouldn't be but what a crazy rare scenario that would be. I mean, you're talking about uh, some psycho kid now is just willing to grab the gun and, and use it on students and teachers. I mean, that's just as crazy to me as someone coming into the school with the gun and using it on teachers and and students, you know? I think it's pretty far-fetched and I actually I the kid wouldn't know who would be armed, right? Because I, I imagine in these schools it would be concealed carry, and they don't even have to carry. They could just keep the gun locked in, you know, in a safe. I'm thinking it wouldn't even be on them, you know? Maybe, it, yeah. There's no reason. 
when you when you carry it outside, if someone's carrying outside, it, it's it's on them for a you know three second or less situation where you know a gun is pointed at them, and they need to be able to quickly unholster and it's already loaded and boom boom boom. You know this wouldn't be that situation at all. This would probably be like you hear gunshots or something that sounds like gunshots in the building. And now you uh, you have a weapon at your disposal to protect the classroom. Right, exactly. You're not asking the teacher to take his gun, go down the hallway, and start clearing the school of the uh, the mass shooters, right? You're, you're just saying, yeah. okay, you're armed. Yeah. You, you get it from wherever it's locked up, maybe in the desk or someplace, mm. and you, yeah. you uh, shelter in place. Lock the door. And you have the gun ready in case, you know, somebody tries to kick the door down, you can actually return fire. Yeah, I agree. And personally, if I was a, if I was a teacher, I'd be, I'd be having that in my classroom, you know, even if it wasn't legal and no one would know about it. That's how I would do it. Well, I mean, but, um, afterwards, you would be presented through the media as a hero in about half of the country, and then you'd be in, a villain in the other half of the country. But uh, yeah, I think I, I agree that that's the negative here, and I don't I think it's extremely far fetched. And like I said, I don't think it's, this thing would is gonna have teachers carrying it in their waistband, walking around. You know, it'd be it'd be caught up. The other one, I the weird one I hear is like, what if the teacher snaps and and you because he's mad and and uses it? I mean, what a dumb thing is that? I mean, if a teacher was psycho where he'd shoot people, uh, you know, then he'd bring in a gun. It wouldn't matter if that. All of a sudden, it's illegal that he can have one there. I mean, no, dumb, dumb, dumb arguments. I don't think the like to to stop a a situation like in Parkland and what happened in the the STEM school um, when when someone's bringing in like rifles, especially ones that they mod out where they can kind of shoot automatically. I don't think a, a handgun is really gonna help in that situation. You know, like you said, it would help if they're just barricading the classroom and you know people are undercover or whatever and your teacher now has has a gun pointed at the door you know that that might be better than nothing yeah i I mean i do think it would help a little bit because these people who do these mass shootings have never probably ever been shot at before right so and i think most of the evidence um of mass shootings that were stopped they were i think most of them stopped by people returning fire, not necessarily cops. These are like armed citizens that happen to be in a general area that caused the mass shooter to, you know, mm-hmm. what, take cover. And if he's, if he's, if a mass shooter is taking cover, he's not shooting at people. So mm-hmm. even one person with a gun in the right spot, returning fire could probably save a lot of lives. Yes, I think so. I I think that's why the Orlando Pulse shooter chose the nightclub he did at the time because he he went in at a time where it was after they started checking people for for guns and stuff like that, and and they usually check. So I think he knew that that club was going to have nobody carrying in it. You know, if even uh, the the possibility a couple people are carrying that might prevent it. But here's my idea for schools. Okay. I think I think they should have. Like two, three, maybe like stage. Every school should have like uh, some sort of safe where there's rifles in there, like maybe three of them, and they're on bio. They're they're locked like with biometric security. You know, some teachers or whoever have access, and it's like through a thumbprint type thing, right? So no one can get in there. That's my point, except for the people who have access. So basically, schools have like a little mini armory, maybe in like a couple locations. 
and, and people can access it. And it, I think if it wouldn't be that expensive, there's no threat of anybody breaking in. Just, you know, you got to make the thing safe and secure. And if all schools were like that, nobody would come into the schools to try something like that. You would just immediately prevent it, you know, knowing that these schools actually are armed. I mean, that's, that's an idea. Um, I, I'm okay if schools want to hire armed security guards. I think that's another idea because... That, you know, they can patrol the halls or whatnot, and um, mm. you, that's just as good, I guess, as having uh, maybe a teacher, you know, be even make concealed carry or having something locked in their desk. One way or another, most of these public schools aren't armed or prepared for a mass shooting at all. They're just, they're waiting to be the next set of victims. Yeah, it's just a ton of people. And kids, which these people want attention a lot of times, and they want to do something crazy. And, uh, yeah, the opportunity is there. It's just a bunch of kids and a bunch of people with uh, no means to uh, pr- protect it or prevent it. Yeah, there's a reason why a lot of the politicians in Washington, D.C. send their kids to a private school that has armed security. Okay, so I don't know how we're going to segue into abortion, but I think we just jump right into it. Yeah, you don't worry about segues. Okay, we shouldn't jump in. We shouldn't have a natural transition, I guess. No, that's all right. Okay. Well, I guess a mass shooter killing kids at a school is kind of like what's been going on in our country for, you know, I guess the past 50 years or so where you have babies being mass murdered through abortion. What do you think? Some would consider a pretty good equivalency there. Yeah. So what happened in Georgia? Um, something about they passed something, uh, a new thing. I mean, maybe not take effect for a few years, but abortions possibly illegal after six weeks or when they can detect a heartbeat. That's what I heard. It's, um, that's about when you can see a, a heart rate and it doesn't mean that the baby actually has a heart at that time. It's more kind of like a little tube that just kind of contracts a little bit. So it's not a real heart. It's not a, it's not a formed I guess what you would call a baby until later on in the first trimester where you can start seeing arms and legs and a head and, you know, like a chest and an abdomen, that kind of thing. So, you know, maybe that's more like 12 weeks, let's say. But but at six weeks, for the most part, you should be you should see some sort of activity resembling, you know, heart motion. Mm. And, and that that's kind of a... I guess some people would call it like extreme cutoff point, right? Because then that only yeah. that only gives the woman about five or six weeks to make a decision on the abortion. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's all about when you did, when you perceive it as being life, and some perceive it as being life right from conception, and you know, and some will say, well, you know, a little later when the, when it's when it's forming. So someone's, you know, got to have their own stage where they they consider life. And I guess this is where Georgia would consider that when there's a heart rate detection, you know, Uh, I don't have any complaints with anybody considering it life at that form or or even earlier or even later. I don't know. It's just um, I don't have a problem that Georgia passed this. It's, It's just a statewide thing. I'd have a problem if the federal government maybe passed it. Right. Yeah. So I guess for me. I think it's kind of like political blowback for the extreme version of a 
uh, a law in the opposite direction for New York State. And now I think there's plenty of activists that think we have, well, not we, but they have a, you know, maybe a 5-4 advantage on the Supreme Court in their direction if they want to try to re-challenge Roe v. Wade. And so they had to get, you know, some state to pass some sort of really extreme, uh, I, you don't have to call it, we don't have to call it extreme because we just you know, some sort of abortion bill that basically outlawed abortion in order for our Supreme yeah, Court. Yeah, for it to be passed up to the Supreme Court. Right, which is kind of weird, right? It's kind of weird that, that the Supreme Court is is determining those type of things for us. Absolutely. I mean, this is, uh, I don't think people, well, I mean, actually, I don't, I know this for sure. People don't understand federalism anymore. And federalism is is all about states' rights. States are supposed to be sovereign entities. And the general government is not supposed to be able to tell the states what they can and can't do. There are very few exactly enumerated powers in the Constitution for the general government. And the rest was supposed to be left to the states as per the 10th Amendment. But over time, over the past 200 years, more and more power has been given to the general government and states have kind of just subjugated themselves to the general government and the Supreme Court. Um, I guess my opinion, you know, Roe v. Wade never should have actually happened. When, Mm -hmm. you know, when it started in Texas um, and it got up to the, you know, state Supreme Court level in Texas, it it should have stopped there. And then eventually it got appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court and then the U.S. Supreme Court should have been like, whoa, 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 this is not in our purview this is not something the general government's allowed to rule on, and they should have kicked it back to the states and let each state decide what's best for that state. Because how is a single court of nine people going to understand the culture and spirit of the entire country or of an entire state? They can't possibly represent everybody. Yeah, that's the that's the big thing. That's why there's the war on the Supreme Court judges, pretty much. Every side wants their own their own people in there to sort of uh, deem what the culture and and society is going to be and what what our laws and what we do is, as a country is going to be. It's like it's to me though, you want someone in there that's not judging on, on opinion and there are a feeling, but just very constitutionally and textually. But that ends up being a lot of the conservative, uh, you know, judges, and that's the conservative sort of. Right. The I guess the more the more liberal judges uh, tend to believe that, you know, this whole living, breathing Constitution thing, and it has to change with the times. But again, if we actually followed the Constitution, then it wouldn't really matter who was there, because let's say, you know, there was something happening in the state of. Wyoming, and it got challenged to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled against it. Well, then, the Supreme Court has no way of enforcing anything. The state of Wyoming could just be like, okay, well, thank you for your opinion, and we're going to continue to do our own thing because we're a sovereign state, and you can't tell us what to do. And we lost the concept of that. Oh, God, so long ago. almost, Almost immediately after the Constitution was ratified, you know, people in the, uh, I don't know if you would call it deep state back then, but people in the government who, uh, like Alexander Hamilton, who believed 
that the general government was, should be very, very powerful. You know, those are those. Are, yeah, you did a you did an episode about it. I did. It's been a while, but I did. That's right. That's right. No, I've heard some people call the the Georgia thing, like people on the left and some liberal people call it barbaric. And those same people, when you ask them, what do you think of late term abortions? Are that is that barbaric? They they don't answer. At least I've seen I've seen examples of this recently. Obviously, isn't it obvious that a late term, even up to the final, you know, weeks, is pretty barbaric? Uh, yeah, no. To me, obviously, that is. It's disgusting. And it, in six weeks, I mean, you can disagree with it if you're if you're pro-choice, but to call it barbaric, I mean, the, the position is that it's life at uh, when you when you get it detect a heart rate. And you're saying that this is a, a human life form, um, you know, that you can't kill. So, I mean, I wouldn't – how could you really honestly call that a barbaric position? It may be inconvenient for, for some people, you know, and their way of – and the progressives and their way of thinking. But to call it barbaric, I don't know. It's ridiculous. And, and they're super hypocritical about it. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to get – an honest answer from a lot of these people, and they'll they don't like using the terms like abortion and baby killing. They they mm-hmm. just they want to call it reproductive rights and pro-choice and all that kind of crap. It, it's mm-hmm. it's a very heated topic. Women's rights is what they're going with. You know, yeah. it's a woman's body and all that. That's that's their big thing. My my thinking of uh, I guess about abortion has changed over time, and. I'm more in the pro-life camp now than uh, I ever used to be. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's controversial. You'll never get everybody to agree. And I think the best compromise we could possibly get would be that each state does their own thing, right? And because if you... In this, yeah, in this topic, I think that is probably the best compromise. Yeah, because right now trying to get you know, a Supreme Court to go in your direction is going to, again, just like you have a president who half the country hates every four years and the other half the country loves. You know, you're going to end up with a Supreme Court decision that half the country hates and until a couple of justices die or retire and you get your own people in there until they get a chance to reverse it. I mean, it's just going to, it causes so much unnecessary angst and uh, vitriolic polarization it's unnecessary. You know, the states are supposed to be able to decide these sort of things, not the general government. Uh, that's absolutely true. It sounded really good, too. You worded that really well. Well, that will do it for today. Thank you all for listening to the Liberty on Fire podcast. Please do me two favors. Number one is to share the show. Remember that we want to continue to advance the message of individual liberty, and sharing and growing the show is one of the best ways to do that. The second favor is to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. A five-star rating is much appreciated. Also, please check out our website, libertyonfire.org. Thank you very much. And until next time, let's keep those fires of liberty burning bright. (laughs) 